Live from the studios of KZSU at Stanford University, I'm Susan Morris, and this is What Would Your Mother Say?, the show that explores the generation gap between mothers and students. Tonight we're talking about something that all of us have felt at one time or another, regardless of our age, gender, education, or how much money we make. It's the feeling that someone in our lives has rejected us. My guest tonight is the self-proclaimed queen of rejection, psychotherapist Dr. Elaine Savage, author of Don't Take It Personally, The Art of Dealing with Rejection. She's here to talk to us about how our childhood experiences shape our sensitivities and how to learn from our experiences in order to get beyond these feelings. Dr. Savage, welcome to What Would Your Mother Say? Where did you get the title of Queen of Rejection? Now, don't tell me that because you are the queen of rejecting people. No, I'm the queen of being rejected. I was born being rejected. I was born taking things personally. I think from the time I was little, you look at me funny and I cry. Well, now that brings me right directly to the, my, my next question is, how do our childhood experiences really set the pattern for how we process rejection through the rest of our life? We have so many experiences of rejection that we don't know how to label them. We don't know what they are, but we do know that our feelings are hurt. We do know that we're dwelling on things. We know we're worrying about things. And we take a lot of these things into our later years as students, into our adult years, and our relationships, always our relationships. Well, Elaine, give me an example of what might happen to a young child that would last or set a pattern for them through their life. For instance, a young child's coming home from school. Daddy, 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 look what I did today. I am so excited about this. And daddy's reading the paper. Daddy, 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 I did this great drawing. No eye contact. Child feels ignored. That's a big piece of rejection. So then you can expect that, oh, especially if the, if the parent will say, I don't have time, I don't have time. And then the child translates that to, you don't have time for me, do you? So we take that into our life. We tell ourselves that if somebody's short with us or in a hurry, that they don't have time for us and that we're not important to them. And we feel ignored. And feeling ignored is a real big part of rejection in, in our later years because we almost expect it and we set we set the stage for it so many times. Elaine, as you're talking, I'm going immediately into the role of mother and thinking, oh my God, I'm sure I must have said those things to my children at one point. But how often does this have to happen to a child before it becomes a pattern? Well, let me preface it first with saying none of us do these things intentionally to our kids or to anybody else. We often do them because it's the way we were brought up. We don't know any different than that. We have blind spots about it. How often does someone do it? It's, it, it? People do it, and and if it's done repeatedly enough, even a couple of times a year. But, but the issue isn't how often, and the issue isn't what. The issue is the sensitivity of the child. That's Some of us were just born more sensitive. We're sensitive to our environment, but we're sensitive also to our emotional environment. Would a person who is prone to depression be more sensitive and... I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? I think it works reciprocally. If we're prone to depression, if we're prone to seeing things in a really negative way and filtering out the positives, which a lot of us learn to do over the years, we let those negatives come in, and they're huge in our life, and we dwell on them. If we're prone to that, we're, and we're going to take things personally more often, don't you get depressed when you're taking things personally and you're dwelling on it? It's a, it's a burden. You're carrying around a really heavy burden. And it can be really depress depressing. So I think what happens is it's reciprocal. Maybe we're, we grew up in a depressive family and we tend to be more depressed. We don't even know it. It's like they call that mass depression. You don't see it. Mm -hmm. Years later, someone might look at a family photo and say, gee, look at my dad's face, or look at my mom's expression. Yeah. She was so sad. And so that maybe there wasn't even an element of rejection. It was just everyone is just sad and, and depressed. Tell me, when people talk to you, and I know you've talked to a lot of people because your book is filled with wonderful examples, what is the particular relationship that m people most often talk about as having been a rejecting one? There's always a parental relationship, of course, especially if we take things personally. It could be grandma and grandpa, too, for instance, or that aunt or uncle. But I tell you, frankly, Susan, what I see 
and where people's energies come up is when they start talking about their school years, the grade school and high school, middle school, high school years. They felt so rejected or so teased or so bullied or so made fun of, either by peers or by teachers. And certainly teachers didn't mean to do that most of the time. However, they hold up a paper and they say, Elaine... I'm kind of surprised at you that you made that C. You're capable of an A. And surely I was capable of an A. But they humiliated me. Elaine, one thing that impressed me the most is in your book, The Art of Dealing with Rejection, you're very open about all the rejection in in your own life. I wonder uh, if when you're talking, when others are talking about experiences of rejection, if it doesn't diminish them in other people's eyes? And isn't that a risk you take when you're talking about rejection? When I'm talking about my own experiences? Well, well, yes, but also others when you're advising them, and Mm -hmm. you're a counselor, so you do advise people about rejection. But do you warn that this could be a side effect of talking about episodes of rejection? I have thought about that, and I'm really selective. I might talk about some of the, it sounds like a lot in the book, it's Mm -hmm. a few, Mm-hmm. incidences of rejection, and they're the ones that are easier to talk about. Most of what I talk about in the book, I feel, are universal issues, and I'm joining people where people can say, oh, you too? Oh, and then I am a bit of a model that way because I did overcome a lot of it, and I also say in the book that I have these roadblocks still. Certain things trip me up still. My guest is psychotherapist Dr. Elaine Savage, author of the book, The Art of Dealing with Rejection. Barbara will be joining us for the discussion. Welcome back to What Would Your Mother Say? Coming to you live from the studios of KZSU at Stanford University. I'm Susan Morris. We're talking about the art of dealing with rejection. My guest is psychotherapist Dr. Elaine Savage, who will be with us until the half hour. And joining us in the studio is another mom, Barbara. Hi, Susan. Good to have you here. Thank you. Barbara, when you hear the word rejection, what do you think? I think boo-hoo. I think of all the sad times when someone has given me the shaft, and um, I was surprised and unhappy and bereft about it. Did they get? Le- did it get not as bad as you got older? <sighs> I think I've gotten a, something of a thicker skin over time. And in fact, I wanted to ask Dr. Savage about that. Is that a common attribute that people, as they get older, feel a little less rejection? Or- depends on the person. And it depends on if they've worked on it. I mean, I'm a psychotherapist and a, and a consultant, so I'm big on working on things and looking at those issues that come up. But if people have... Uh, those blind spots about things, they can't take that step away and make those choices a little different. You've made the choice to not react to things. That's probably what your thicker skin is. They don't get to you so fast. Well, it's such a difficult way to live, to be, to feel that kind of rejection. I mean, I've, I've been divorced twice. That's commonly discussed on this program. And so there's a fair amount of rejection in a busted marriage. But you've referred on, on a couple of occasions this afternoon to um, taking things personally and its impact on rejection. Can you clarify that a little bit? Anytime we take things personally, it's when our feelings are hurt. It feels like a personal affront. It feels like we're the target of something. That's when we most overreact to things. Those are the triggers is when we're taking something personally. It's almost always connected to rejection in some kind of way. And when we're taking something personally, this is a how-to, to to take that step back and, and ask ourselves, Am I feeling rejected right now? Probably. Yes. Well, what's that about? And then where did that come from? And who does this remind me of? Because that gives us the objectivity to be able to go down a different path than not the overreactive path that time. You start down the path, hook it up to rejection, ask yourself a couple questions, go back to that fork in the road, and take another path. It's not easy, but it's sure doable. Now, can we be just a little more specific? Let's say Mr. Wonderful has just told me he doesn't want to see me anymore. That feels very, very personal. Are you saying that if you don't tie it up with something in your past that's already sensitive and injured, uh, that's how you avoid taking it personally? It's a way to move past it. You're going to take it personally. But but if we look at the energy we take, we, we spend dwelling on these things, it, it's a lot of energy to worry and dwell all the time. But if we can get a little bit of objectivity about it, it's really helpful. It's not easy when somebody 
calls off a relationship. It is so hurtful. But frankly, in my experience with myself, when I overreact to something like that and I'm immersed in that, that down and that depression about it, it's almost always related to a piece of my life that has to do with abandonment, and I've had a lot of that in my life. So I'm reacting to the abandonment and not just to the person. Well, Elaine, isn't rejection, I mean, it sounds so terrible, you know, we suffer so much from it or, or feel it so so strongly, but isn't uh, rejection sometimes a valuable social behavior that someone, I mean, in Barbara's case, Barbara, I hope you don't mind me, take, but this guy is saying, you know, um, you better move on because I'm not, I'm not that interested. So, and they can also tell you, when you're doing something inappropriate. I mean, the, the kid in the high school who acted weird or whatever, you know, by, by rejecting her, you're saying, hey, you better change your behavior a little bit if you want to be part of the crowd. I think it's very true that rejection can be a, a, a learning experience, and maybe that's what you're talking about. It happens in all kinds of social situations. If we can just let ourselves not immerse in the negativity of it, and I know I sound like Pollyanna or somebody's mother, but to say, what can I learn from this? You know, what did I learn from this? Well, maybe I learned to choose a different kind of guy mm-hmm. or a different ty- kind of gal. You know, maybe that's what I learned. And that's and that's uh, that's fine. That's a really good thing to do. We don't have if we see it as rejection, it's very negative. But there's some positive pieces to that. And if we can just turn it around, flip it around a little bit. A lot of times when we feel rejected, we feel disrespected in some kind of way. We feel dismissed. We feel uh, discarded. We feel disregarded. There's a lot of dis words, uh, 50 or 60 of them, that mean disrespect and mean rejection. But if we can flip that around and say, I'm just not going to buy into that. I'm going to disenfranchise this whole idea of feeling really bad about it. I'm going to disarm this person in a way. Use our own dis words. But, but Elaine, sometimes, or Dr. Savage, sometimes... When you're in a climate and people, you're feeling like something that you're not doing things right and you are being rejected, that maybe you should step back and say, gee, I'm getting a message. What is that message? Maybe I'm not welcomed here. Maybe what I'm doing or what I've just said has been offensive. I think that's very true, and I think we can learn from that if we can, if we can stay centered enough to step back and say, maybe there's a, there's a lesson here. What is the lesson? What can I learn from it? And not see it as totally negative. Well, I think it's bad sometimes if you, if you just totally disregard it because a boss may be telling you that if you don't shape up, your time here is limited. Or um, an editor, you know, just sort of passes you by in the hall and maybe he didn't like the last piece you did. Or wh- There's, a, there's a, uh, an act. I know that on her in her office she has a plaque she had a plaque made above her desk and it says it's selection not rejection and I think we can use that in everything including a breakup that it's selection not rejection because she's so used to not making the callback and it's often um, that her face her eyebrows weren't right for the role you know that's what it is it boils down to that speaking of professional rejection it seems to me that salesmen for example and entrepreneurs don't hear the word no and it causes them to be profoundly successful in what they're doing because they keep at it. They, it's, it's instead of no, it's next. Next, you know, next, <laughs> yeah. next reason, next excuse, next. And, and I think that's just fine. And I do a lot of training with salespeople because they, uh, they don't let the rejection get them down, but they often feel it really personally. If I do a book talk, for instance, you wouldn't believe how many real estate people show up. Oh, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, now, when I was a kid, I thought that the group over there, uh, the people in that group never experienced rejection. And even today, you you look at really hugely successful people and you say, they just don't ever go through this. But that's not true, is it? It's not true at all. You don't know what's under all of that. And then you mentioned the, the, the clay feet stories is one of my old clients used to call these my clay feet stories. Uh, the you know that I tell in the book, and and we all go through those things. And people that see me do a presentation or a training, and you put that mic in my hand, and I am like on, they would never dream that the energy can go like, and I deflate if I'm feeling left out, if I'm feeling disappointed about something. With this again, another rejection, and so people don't know. They don't know what's underneath all of that, that fluff. 
Well, we have an email here from San Mateo. It sounds like this guy here expects to be rejected. He says, I hate rejection. I particularly hate getting turned down for a date. I'm at the point, though, where I'm so afraid of rejection that I'd rather not try because I don't want to risk failure. The problem is I'm very attracted to this woman, and while I want to ask her out, I feel paralyzed. How do other people deal with this? Elaine? Well, you know, feeling paralyzed is is tough because you can sit on the sofa and you can feel paralyzed in your fingers and your toes. And my my recommendation to people when they go through paralyzation, and we we all do, is is to really just move one finger at a time and unparalyze yourself. When it's a hard phone call to make, whether it's this kind of phone call, whether it's looking for a job or an internship or those tough phone calls, I always do it as a process. I make easy phone calls that I need to make that day. I get on the phone and I call about um, making an appointment um, for a pedicure or whatever it is. The easy, easy, easy phone calls that I'm familiar with. And I build up to a little harder. I make a few phone calls. And then I'm in phone mood. Like, I turn me on, I'm in phone mood, and I can talk on the phone. So I move it through the process, and it makes it, I'm not saying it always works, but it makes it a lot easier for me to build up to the harder phone call. Yeah, I couldn't agree with Dr. Savage more about that process. I have a couple of practical hints for this guy, too. Um, When I'm in a situation like that, I find I'm trying to structure the the request I have in such a way that if the person isn't going to grant it, that it doesn't feel quite so personal. And in a dating situation, specifically, um, I think the advice is, would you care to join me at a specific event on a specific day at a specific time? And that way, the person is on high alert that you have an interest. And they can very gently say, I'm sorry, that day doesn't work for me. And everybody walks away with their pride intact. If she's interested, she can say, how about another day? But meanwhile, you know, if he says, would you care to go out with me someday? She only has two choices, make his day or make him feel like nothing. It's great advice. It's a really great tip. And, and, it, and, it's, and pride is the important thing because we don't want, we want to feel valued and we don't want to feel dissed and we don't want to feel shame. And shame moves into humiliation for a lot of us because of childhood experiences, a lot of them in school, really quickly. Some, uh, one client of mine said years ago, he reminds himself, this is just embarrassment, it's not shame. It's just embarrassment, it's not shame. And sometimes we feel embarrassed when we ask somebody to do something, but we can move past that a little bit. I love the idea of the specific date, the specific time. Elaine, would, do you recommend someone saying, uh, ex- does this mean you don't want to go out? Or, I mean, really confronting the person who you think has just rejected you? I think the first time is a little premature to do that. If it happens um, maybe the second or especially the third time, then you may not even have to confront them about it. You, um, you know, you can always say to someone, well, call me if, if you're interested. You know, you don't have to have a confrontation that way. But we're not always um, the best match, and sometimes we think we are, and the other person may think it's a mismatch, and they have a right to think that. Again, we don't have to take these things so personally. It's hard not to take it personally, rejection about a date. But we don't have to take it so personally. Why do we have to make it about us all the time? Maybe there's a reason, and maybe that person has uh, another relationship or someone else they have a crush on. That's not about us. That's about them. And I try to remind myself when I'm feeling caught up in these taking it personally things and my feelings get so hurt that I don't know what their story is. I could ask, but I don't, uh, sometimes I don't need to. Sometimes I just need to tell myself they have a story and they have a reason and it may not be about me. That's right. I have a rule of thumb. thumb uh, two overtures to man, woman, or beast, and that's all. If it's not reciprocated after two, move on. Right. Well, outside of just the dating environment, one phrase that I've learned to use is, is there a problem here that I need to know about if I haven't been getting the right, uh, and the response that I expected? And there's been, I've felt some rejection there. I've been very surprised at the answers there. You Give us a call at, at 650-723-9010. Ask Dr. Elaine Savage a question. She's the author of The Art of Dealing with Rejection. I'm here with Barbara and Dr. Savage uh, talking about different ways of, of coping with it. Dr. Savage, at what point did you come up with the philosophy of looking inward instead of outward when dealing with rejection? 
I tell you what, it's again about process. I've dealt with rejection issues for years. I was a protective service worker in San Francisco looking at all the abuse and saying, what's the umbrella here? Well, it's rejection. And then when it was time to do a dissertation for my doctoral program, I said, what can I do that I know but that will be a challenge in a new area? And I chose rejection and its effect on later intimacy. Well... What a process. I learned so much about myself in that process of, of, of doing the research for and writing the dissertation, as these things always are. They're a process. It's the way we learn to do things. It's the way we learn best about ourselves. So that's, uh, that's what I learned. And I learned all the ins and outs. I learned the subtleties, things I never thought about. I know the obvious things. I didn't realize all the subtleties until I made a study of it. Well, now you're, you've piqued my curiosity. What subtleties? I've, the rejection that I instantly remember was not subtle. <laughs> well, a lot of what I remember wasn't subtle either. But, you know, the, the example of the parent not turning around and looking you in the eyes when you're trying to talk to them. You know, we don't always... We don't have a rejection word for that growing up, but it feels like we're being ignored. We have a call from Mary from Stanford. Hi, Mary. What's your question? Well, uh, I'm advising some students who are trying to pick their dorm mates for next year, and they, there's a girl that they don't want to be in their group, and they're, so they're really trying to reject her. But instead of rejecting her, they're meeting at 2 o'clock in the morning to make their plans where she's asleep so that she won't know that she's she's being rejected. And I just think I should be able to give them some better advice on how to handle this than, than the way they're doing it. Good question, Mary. Elaine, what's your advice for Mary? It, it would be great if they could be more direct about it. It's really hard to do that. I can see that they don't want to hurt her feelings, and I can see that they don't want to hurt somebody, you know, that they don't want to get hurt in the process or caught up in it either. But if they can be direct, if, if they could meet and come up with something they can say directly to her, that would be something that they could do. Um, they might be able to help her to realize all the reasons that she maybe isn't the best fit. For, for this situation. Would you say uh, that uh, that you they say, gosh, um, Mary Alice, we like you a lot, but it, it's just not <laughs> what you just don't fit in. Well, what do you say when you're when you when somebody's um, wooing you, you know, in a relationship? It's a, it's it's a real similar situation. It's about mismatch. It's about personalities. It's about things where, and and if you say you don't fit in, of course that's rejecting, and someone's going to take that personally. But there's lots of good reasons that people are mismatched. And in this case, the student's going to find out quite soon anyway, it would be so much better for her mental health to let her know up front that they're thinking a different way. Mary, thanks for calling. Well, when you're young and you have to deal with um, confronting people or rejecting them, it's very awkward. But it is... um, it is also a little difficult, even when you're older, but, but that brings up the question of, and Barbara, I think you broached it a little bit, that as we get older, it gets easier, right, to deal with all of these things. It gets easier as long as we don't keep having the blind spots about it, because when you have blind spots about things, you don't see them, or you only see a piece of them. And if you're not seeing something, how can you change it? If you're not aware of something, how can you change it? So it's important to really... That's why I wrote Don't Take It Personally, The Art of Dealing with Rejection, so people could see that wide continuum of issues that we're faced with as kids and that continue into our relationship. Just get rid of those blind spots and you can walk down another path. You can make some choices. Elaine, I have one final question for you. What is one single piece of advice that you would give a person when dealing with rejection? I I really encourage people to find a way to take that step backward and have a little bit of objectivity about it. Because when we're in the center of our universe, we are a target. We feel like a target. So if you cannot be in the center of your universe around these situations, realize that you were because you're hurt, and that's how you got hurt. But look at all the concentric circles. You can take a step out to the next concentric circle visually in your mind and have some objectivity about it because then you you can't possibly keep that hurt going. You're not feeding it the same way. So don't feed it. And to remember, it's really about the other person most of the time. You know, they say on... Um, on uh, Saturday Night Live, that old joke about when someone's pointing at you, four, pi- four fingers are actually pointing back at, at them. So it's all, one finger's pointing at you, but the rest of it, it's called projection. People are talking about themselves most of the time. 
Great. Thank you very much, Dr. Savage. It was very nice of you to come to visit us today. Uh, Your book is terrific, and so are you. Psychotherapist Elaine Savage, known as the Queen of Rejection, has written The Art of Dealing with Rejection and Breathing Room, Creating Space to Be a Couple. Both books are available on Amazon.com. Dr. Savage's website is www.queenofrejection.com. Coming up, joining Barbara and me are a college student and a recent graduate with opinions of their own on the subject of rejection. Welcome back to What Would Your Mother Say? Coming to you from the studios of KZSU at Stanford University. I'm Susan Morris. You've just heard Don't Pretend You're Doing This For Me by Cornell Heard Band. For those of you just joining us, the subject of this week's show is how to deal with rejection. If you have a story or question or comments, give us a call at 650-723-9010 to get on the air. Or email us at whatwouldyourmothersay at kzsu.org. Here with me in the studios of KZSU is Barbara. Hi, Susan. Hi, and joining us is college sophomore Matt. Hey, Susan. And recent graduate Francis. Hi, Susan. Welcome to all of you. I uh, I have to tell everyone out there that I really did a terrible thing to Madam Francis this week. I said, please remember all of those horrible instances when you were rejected and then come on the air and tell everybody. <laughs> so I, I'd like to apologize, but... Well, you assume that there were some of those, Susan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I started, yes. Well, it was your neighbor, right? Or your sister who experienced the rejection, not you. Yes, of course. <laughs> okay, good. Well, now, Francis, or yes, Francis, can mm-hmm. you remember a situation when someone simply told you that you were being rejected or did they beat around the, the bush? Both. I can name two different instances, and I'll be honest, the latter was the more upsetting of the two. I have no problems with being rejected, especially when you're talking about a personal relationship, for example. I don't want to date someone who doesn't like me. So if somebody tells me they don't like me, then I'm fine. I'll move on. I have a problem with somebody ignoring me, not telling me what's the issue, and then me having to drag it out of them that they don't want to date me anymore. So I've had to deal with both of those situations. And what happened when you said to the guy, what did you say? <laughs> I, well, I pretty much just said, is this too much for you right now? And he said, yes, it is. Uh-huh. So I said, okay, thanks for telling me this um, instead of waiting till I asked about it. Boy, Francis, I couldn't disagree with you more. I like the subtle approach. I like someone just kind of drifting away and letting me get the clues from no, that. No, I hate <laughs> that. How can you like that? Because I, I read the clues. I mean, I get, get the same tea leaves everybody else does. And so if someone doesn't answer the email, doesn't answer the phone call, I kind of get the message. As but- opposed to... Your you're ugly and your mother dresses you funny. Well, I don't want them to say you're ugly and your mother dresses funny, but I, I could, if, if they cared about me enough to spend the last few months dating me, they should certainly care enough, uh, enough about me to say, look, I'm sorry, I'm too busy or this isn't working for me. You're a great person. I've enjoyed spending time with you, but I don't want to keep doing that. I think I'm just going to let the ladies go at this one. <laughs> well, well, Barbara, but, but, uh, but the point is that it doesn't, I don't think that they stop answering all your calls or emails. It, it happens so gradually that you can go crazy. And I must say, the longer and deeper the relationship is, certainly the greater the obligation to express some candor. But if I'm seeing someone casually, I don't want that up close and personal rejection. Um, I'll never forget last spring I was dating a man and, um, oh, we went out maybe half a dozen times and then I got an email from him that I wasn't religious enough. And I've got to say, (laughs) candidly, it would have suited me just fine had he failed to call. But wait, but wait, what I will say though is now that he's told you that, don't you feel a little bit better? Because you can say, I don't want to date him anyways. I didn't like him. If, if that's what he wanted from me, then I'm glad we're not together. Well, I have a question for all of you. How do you feel about being rejected by email? Matt, would you ever do that to someone? The the closest thing I got towards that was I um, in high school, senior year, I got rejected via phone message. Uh, and it wasn't even, it, wa- it was just a message. The person called, I don't get good reception at my house in, in Los Angeles, and so I didn't get the message until two days later. That was embarrassing, because I <laughs> called her during that two-day period, and Ouch. I had no clue. <laughs> I actually probably would prefer email over that. Um, but I think both are kind of classless. I don't appreciate both of them. You should just be upfront. And if you've been oh. dating the person for a month, go out of your way and just and you owe it to them to go. Out yeah, of your way. I will say I've done the phone message before, but oh, I should. Ridiculous. I, I agree. It is totally ridiculous. But at the same time, we had gone on maybe two dates, something like that. So it was one of those things where it was really simple. I'm I'm one of those people. I hate not leaving messages and that they just have a missed call. So when he didn't pick up, I was like, I can either leave a fake message that's like, Hi, how are you? I'd love to talk to you soon, or I could just hang up, which I think 
looks worse. Or I can just say, hey, we've been having a great time, but I just want you to know that I think we should just be friends. Francis, very all, nice. All, all you had to say was, in your tone of voice, I need to talk to oh, you. Oh, but that's so far worse. I, I think that's terrible. I think, to pick, I think to pick up the phone or the voicemail and say, uh, you know, you're a, you're a great <laughs> gal, but you know, it's over. <laughs> and people around you could be listening. I, I don't know. But listen, has anyone ever confronted you, Matt, about being rejected by you and, um, and you were ashamed? When I rejected the, or yes, when I got yeah. rejected. Well, no, when, by the way you rejected someone, were you ever ashamed of the way you did it? I guess there's always that slight guilt that you feel when you reject somebody. I mean, I haven't been in a relationship long enough to, um, like, I haven't been in one more than three months to actually, like, you know, I feel that when you reject someone at that point, it feels really bad. You do feel slight shame, but it's always easier in those cases to be the rejector than the rejectee. But but I'm not actually always talking about mm -hmm. male female. I'm talking about a classmate or a buddy or something like that. When you just upfront just reject them? Yeah, you just you think you know I, this guy is. Oh, I mean, I was. It's it's the Catholic guilt. I guess you get a little guilt for me in particular, but uh, that's that's about as far as it goes. Oh, I think there's some real guilt in one of my rejections. I behaved so badly uh, as a high school senior. I went with a buddy to a university campus, and I was set up with the guy's frat brother, and the guy was a loser in the extreme. Okay, and I thought I was so with it and so cool, and I. Um, gave this setup kind of the heave ho early in the evening and then I spent the night in the lounge making up making out with some guy I had just met. It was so shameful. I, I am I am sorry about it to this day. <laughs> you know what my ego needed was so unattractive. <laughs> I really admire all of you being so upfront about these <laughs> these things. Well have you um okay has any someone ever wanted to be your friend um but you didn't want to? Yes. Although I will say it wasn't that I didn't want to be their friend because I think that's slightly cruel. It was more that I didn't want to be as close to them or spend as much time with them as they wanted to spend with me. How'd you deal with it? Uh, I whined a lot about it. <laughs> Not to them. I mean, I never, I've never directly told somebody, look, I don't want to spend as much time with you, but I've gone the... The whole, you know, taking a few extra days to call them back when they call you, you know, going out with some friends and intentionally not including them occasionally. I've never been directly mean with to someone about that because I feel in high school or in middle school, I was on the opposite end of that. And yeah. it was so frustrating when people were much more cruel to me that I never wanted to do that to someone else. You know, on some of our earlier shows, our, we've said to people, you've got to be upfront with people. You should tell your roommate that she's obnoxious. I mean, just, you know, get it out. And I, at that time, said, this is really hard to do. And Francis, you've just confirmed this. I mean, telling somebody uh, that you don't you know, it's just yeah. not working out, whether it's a girlfriend or a buddy or whatever. I, I did, Matt, what? I mean, what other choice do you have, though, at some degree? I mean, if you keep the person around or you don't kind of tell them up front that you're not enjoying their company or make it very obvious that you're not, then that person's going to continue to do the same exact thing that annoys you. You're going to continue to get more annoyed at them, and this is going to spiral down, and eventually you're just going to blow at them anyways. I mean, like... You might as well just nip it in the bud and get it over with. Well, in some ways, too, my sister dealt with this, where she was had a neighbor that w had no friends. And my sister is so nice to everyone she meets. So he just assumed that she wanted to be really good friends with him because she was the first nice person he had ever encountered. So then she was stuck in this cycle of having to constantly be nice to this person who she still wanted to be really nice to him because he wasn't a mean person in any way. But she had no interest in spending time with him whatsoever. And here he was. This is the first person who's ever been nice to him. This is his first real friend. So he's all excited and wants to spend all this time with her and is always calling her and knocking on her door. Francis, that reminds me of, of, of a situation where I was rejected. There was a real creep, um, Mike uh, Pathetic, I'll call him, and he called me for I don't know how many months to ask me out to a fraternity party. I thought, there's no way I'm going out with this guy. Well, unfortunately, I came in a dry spell, and I finally said, okay, Mike Pathetic, I'll go with you. Now, God knows what attitude I had. Got to the party, and he left me at the front door. 
<laughs> serves you right. Yeah, That's exactly. What I say. Well, you got that fair and square. Well, you, well, you know, I rem- I was reminded though of what Groucho Marx used to say: "Is I wouldn't want to belong to a club that had members like me." Well, I wondered if he thought she's got to be a loser because she went out with me. And so. I, I will say, we talk about being upfront and things like that. I think when you're dealing with friends, I think that's a different situation, and it's better to drop the casual hints. I think when you're dealing with a relationship, that's a much more specific thing. If someone has a romantic interest in you, you should say no up front. And, yeah. and, and do it privately. <laughs> Here's an email from uh, Tanya. I feel more comfortable talking to men online than in person. I feel free because they can't see me or judge me. All they know are the words that I type about myself. It was in one of these chat rooms that I met Jonathan. I think I've developed a crush on this man because I know that our relationship can never be, thus avoiding any real intimacy. This is what I do. I avoid love. If I don't change something soon, it's going to be very hard for me me later on. Well, Tanya, mm, chat rooms, never seeing a person. That's not what I would call good. Matt? Get out of the room. (laughs) For the love of God, get a life. (laughs) (laughs) She seems to know what the problem is. She said herself that she has a problem with intimacy and that as a result, she'll have problems in the future. She clearly knows this is a problem and just needs to actually act upon that knowledge. Do you think this person is shy or risk adverse? Oh, of course. No, no, shy? I don't know if I would consider, I don't know. Sh- shy doesn't quite sound it, like it, a shy person to me. It's the wrong aggressiveness. I mean, it does take, I mean, at least I couldn't, I am someone randomly over online, you know, like, I don't, I don't do that, but I mean, it's just the wrong, I mean, she's going totally the wrong path on this. This is ridiculous. Well, how does it work with Facebook? This is this book for you listeners oh. who aren't familiar with it that uh, a lot of colleges and universities across the country have and all the students are almost all mm-hmm. of them are listed and a lot of personal things well now do you get on do you get their email and or could you Matt I'm not putting you on the spot but do you email these people and said hi I'm on page 22 and uh, so, so I actually had to do something a little I, I thought this was sketchy what I did over the weekend I was um, I was hiring people for this position and I thought why don't I use this Facebook and just email random people who are econ majors at Stanford University and tell them I'm hiring and that I, I was I was accepting applications and that I felt so completely sketchy after doing that because these are people you don't know they're wondering why are they why is this person asking me if they want to you know apply to this job and I mean for me that crossed the line I think hitting on people over the Facebook is just absolutely ridiculous and it's just it's childish yeah I, we've talked about this before people don't use the Facebook to do that yes there are some who do but for the most part it's a means for you and your friends to kind of look at each other's profiles and you know if someone has a crush on someone you go spy that person like spy on their profile but i wouldn't ever spend hours going through finding the cutest guy and then emailing him i that would just feel weird susan i'm getting the impression that this online stuff is more post-college that that's not how college people get their dates and whatnot is that fair yeah they should start practicing because (laughs) what i'm hearing is if you're not uh, attached by the time you're 20 something you're on online looking for somebody i mean a lot of these (laughs) e-dating things though i don't think are completely ridiculous because they promote you meeting somebody so like you i mean e-dating online are one of those you know you fill out a registration form you say what you like and dislike and then you're paired up with someone you go on a date i mean those aren't absurd yeah i don't have any problems with if i I meet somebody online that's not the issue it's if you date someone online that's the issue and i find it slightly ridiculous to spend 20 25 or 100 bucks a month whatever they charge to have access to these services because eHarmony, for example charges 20 bucks a month for you to to be a part of it 20 20 dollars doesn't seem that much but barbara tell me how have you known when you were being rejected she's not a college student no right right (laughs) hey i'm not either i'm not gonna pay for that Um, just like Francis, I've had both situations. Sometimes people say it straight out, which I find extremely painful and uncomfortable, often tear-provoking. But it's like a Band-Aid. It's like ripping off a Band-Aid. It happens fast and swiftly. Um, And sometimes I find people drift away or start behaving badly. And that's not an attractive alternative, but... the drift away I get is the behaving badly that I think is probably the worst of all choices. But what if someone, you think they're rejecting you, but they're just in a bad mood? I mean, you know, they, they're just, they're, they're not, re- you're misreading the cues. And I bet that happens a lot with yeah. rejection, Matt. Something that just caught me when you said, oh, you know, it's like ripping off a band-aid, it's painful. I mean, from a guy perspective, it's so completely different because it's, I had some guy just put it down perfectly. It's like, it's like baseball. It's a game of baseball. If you go up, for every 10 at-bats you go up, if you manage to get on base three times, you're, you're in the Hall of Fame. If you do that your entire career. 
So guys, it's like you go out and you get a whole bunch of people, you flirt with a whole bunch of people, and you are going to get rejected. Even the best of us are going to get rejected seven out of ten times. The, and the worst of us are probably going to get rejected um, <laughs> one out of one out of a thousand. But you know, it's just it's a numbers game. It really is just the case. Yeah, and it's very to, flattering, isn't it, Francis? <laughs> we're a numbers game. No, but I have to agree that. I mean, Barbara, I'd say I disagree with you. If someone doesn't like me anymore, why am I going to want to waste another three weeks of my time with them for them to finally get the courage to either tell me or for, for me to finally and, and take a hint? And you're only 23, <laughs> or 22. Sorry. 22. Oh, 22. We're going to take a quick station break. And we will be right back. Welcome back to What Would Your Mother Say? Coming to you from the studios of KZSU, I'm Susan Morris. For those of you just joining us, the subject of this week's show is how to deal with rejection. Here with me in the studio is Barbara. Hi, Susan. Hi, and Francis and Matt. Hey, Susan. Good to have you all here. And my panelists are being very um, honest tonight. I thank you so much for that. Of course, I've only had one rejection story, but I'm... (laughs) <laughs> I'll tell you, though, when, the, um, when I was reading Dr. Savage's book, The Art of Dealing with Rejection, so much of it rang so familiar, starting back when you're a little girl or boy, you know, talking about the cliques that you weren't always in, included in, and it did bring up a lot, of, um, a lot of memories. Matt, tell me, what are some of the thoughts that go through your head when you begin to feel rejected? Um, ideally, you no no thoughts would get and go through your head and just move on. Um, I, I it's just a typical you know you uh, you wonder why you got rejected, you wonder what's wrong with yourself, and then you kind of go through that process of um, you know what did I do wrong, and then you see I tend to wonder what's wrong with them. What a healthy reaction! Gosh, well, Barbara, what what about you? I think probably underlying my sense of rejection is a feeling of worthlessness. Maybe I'm less than I thought I was. This person thinks I'm less than I thought I was, and that's what I struggle with. Not being, yeah, not being good enough, right? Yeah. How do you deal with those feelings? Well, then I, I when I'm feeling sane, I look across the table and I think I'm going to let this person define me. You know, chances are. They shouldn't have that power. They are neither so special nor so superhuman that they should be able to, you know, really wreck my sense of self-esteem. There's, there's a lot of anger. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a question, though. At some point, I know people, and sometimes I'm inclined to do this, that I say, oh, well, they're in a bad place right now. And I sort of go through that, yes, they did do what they did, but um, it, 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 it's because of this or that. And I don't know if that's such a healthy reaction, that maybe being mad at someone is better than, saying, than, than stepping back and saying, well, I wonder what's on their mind. Now, you know, if you're, as long as you're not putting yourself in the role of a victim, it sounds to me like you're, you're kind of Tefloning the problem in a really wonderful, healthy way. What's on their mind? Yeah, but I don't know. Sometimes it seems like it might be healthier to get really mad, get it out and say, God. No, no, I disagree. You can get mad, though, and be like, obviously, these people are (laughs) just pieces of, you know, and then just get mad at them for being themselves. I mean, if you wanted to do it that way. But my theory, though, if you do that, then all of a sudden you've just devalued the last however many years or months you've spent with that person. Does that make sense? Where all of a sudden you've said you're you're so worthless that wow, not only am I glad to be done with you, but I regret ever having dated you. And I think that's terribly unhealthy. I think there's nothing wrong with saying, look, what we had was great. It's just done. It's over. Let's move on. Well, I know that some friends who have gotten divorced um, and they're so angry at their spouse. And I try to say, look, it wasn't all bad. I mean, you know, 20 years, I mean... (laughs) Yeah, especially in divorce cases, it's not very healthy to treat the person as if they're the bottom of the barrel, because you might have kids that need to see that person as a good father, if that's what he is. Here's here's one thing, though, that I just, I I have to ask. I mean, there's there's this emphasis on not wanting to feel regret about, you know, something. So if you are a relationship, so if you were in a relationship with somebody for like a year and it ends, you're not supposed to say, oh, I, you know, didn't like that last year. What's wrong with just saying you didn't like that last year? You know, yes, you, you can learn something by saying that, and you can, you know, you can just say, okay, that was a wasted year. I mean, we all make mistakes. We all make wasted mistakes. Life is full of mistakes, and we have to realize that maybe we're in denial by saying that it wasn't, you know, for us in 
Who knows? Well, was it a wasted year? Were you happy during that year? I feel like if you were miserable during that year, then and it took you a year to finally get rid of that person, mm-hmm. then yes, that is very healthy because then you want to make sure that you reaffirm that you made the right decision, especially, for example, if you're in an abusive relationship. Nothing wrong with a year later saying, you know what? I got rid of them. That was a good thing. That never should have happened. But if it was a good relationship and it just ended or things changed or people lost feelings for each other, why would you want to take away the positive memories you had with them and the positive memories? memories you had during that time period by denying it. You know, Francis, I think you're certainly expressing the model I'd like to adopt, (laughs) but I think like in a long-term relationship, a marriage or a very long-term affair, um, you're so intimate with the person that the rejection is so colossal. It's not just like all of a sudden I don't feel, well, the fact that they don't feel the same way. Something is gone. And I think... I don't know how you walk away from that feeling overly positive about it or being able to dwell on the real better parts of the relationship. I had a friend whose marriage ended after 25 years, and it turned out that her husband had been having an affair for 20 of those years. With so, the same person for yeah. 20 years? I'd pull a Marina Bobbitt on that guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the problem is that you can't say to, or I can't say to my friend, well, some of it was good because... No, you cannot. No, no. Yeah. So that was... It took her a long time to get over it, but the good news is she is over it. Did she not have any instincts? Apparently her friends had more instincts than than she did about it. I don't know that anyone said anything to her about it, but... Well, listen, we have an email here from uh, Saratoga. This is called, How Do You Turn Off Someone? What what do I do when a guy asks for my telephone number? Sometimes I really don't want to give it out because I know I'm not interested in him. What's a good way to say no way without hurting someone's feelings? Give the wrong number. (laughs) Oh, I would love an answer to this question, though, where you meet a guy, you think he's great, you don't really want to date him, but you'd love to hang out with him or be friends with him or things like that. And so he says, hey, let's go hang out sometime. You want to say yes, but you don't want to give him the wrong impression. How do you do that? Oh, here's what you do. (laughs) Yeah. You say yes, and you just make it clear when you're hanging out with them that that's not what you're looking for. How do you do that? Well, you can take the reins earlier. You can say, can I have your number? So that you're the um, you're the driver in that case. And in this case, the woman should take his number as well. So, and she just chooses not to use it. But if you want to hang out with someone, then you could say, let's go to the union or the library or wherever it is you want to hang out that's clearly not romantic. Yeah, so that you're setting the terms by initiating the the event. I think that would work pretty well. Well, now here's another email um, from San Jose. Is there any way to tell when I'll call you really means someone will call and when I call you means I never intend to see you again? In other words, how can I tell when I'm being rejected? Matt, I, I think, by the way, I think this is tricky. I've never even run into a situation where that's happened, where someone says, I'll call you. I mean, like... Well, women isn't, have. Isn't it, <laughs> right? isn't it, it, it should be so, I, I guess from a guy's perspective, I mean, you should be able to tell as a guy if the girl's having fun or not. And I feel like women should also be capable of knowing that if it's not spectacular, then odds are they're not going to call you back. I mean, you shouldn't. it should be implicit. It's implicitly known at the end of a date whether or not you guys had enough fun to... Well, yeah, but the guy has said, I'll, I'll call you. I think it's how men say good uh, good night. It means nothing. Well, I've never I've absolutely been, nothing. Unless I'm not a man, I, I mean, I've never <laughs> in my life said that. What do you I'll say? I'll call you. What do you say? Well, of course you don't call you email or whatever. But <laughs> I'll talk to you later. I'll talk. Well, one from, <laughs> usually when I say that though, I mean that like if I'm hanging out with somebody who you know, I'm not like I'm not going to call. I just kind of let it slide. You just say you know have a good night and just leave. I mean like you don't need to. I've I've just never run into a situation where I've even sensed that. That's it just blows my mind that that would happen that often. I Has guess. it happened to you, Francis? Mm, I've never really had someone say I'll call you and then not. I I feel like that situation only really happens when one either they meant to call you and then totally forgot, and then they were like, oh, it's been a week. I really shouldn't call her a week or two weeks or a month later or something like that because stuff comes up. But I will say that I think when guys say I'll call you and don't really mean it, it's because the girl looks like she really wants to hear it. In which case, that's kind of her fault for not reading the signals. Well, I must have really wanted it because a lot of guys, when I was dating, and that was two centuries ago, but they would say, I'll call you, and I believed them. And This well, might see, be a generational thing because it still happens to me. Why don't you mm-hmm. call them? Oh, well, I've, yeah, I've, had, I've had situations where I think the guy will say, oh, you know, it's, maybe it'll be like, I'll talk to you later or something like that, and a week will go by and I'll call them. Well, in the old days, you, you, you did do that, but not very often. But when you, when you do that, don't you know... If it's in a week, 
Doesn't that usually point to something that maybe the guy... Yeah, well, I don't call them, and I'm not like, Hi, why haven't you called me yet? Let's hang out again, okay? I really had a good time. <laughs> I definitely don't do that. But I am one of those people that I don't... You know, if I liked a guy enough to go out on a Yo date dog, with him... how's it going? <laughs> I, I, if I liked him enough to go on a date, I don't want things to be weird afterwards. Okay, so well, I'll give him a courtesy call a week later. Well, I want to ask you, before we go into the last question, how has being rejected changed your behavior? Matt? It hasn't. <laughs> Barbara? Um, I would say it's caused me to believe that I control less than I think I can, con- can control. Even though you might do everything that you know how to do, you can't control the outcome. But going back to when you were a kid and if you were ever rejected when you were a kid, do you see that that had any kind of long-term impact on your behavior? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's made me less secure, a little quicker to be injured, a little quicker to take things personally. Francis, I think it's made me realize what's what's the not, not not the grass is greener on the other side, but a blessing in disguise. Oh no, 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 no! But your behavior did it make My you behavior? less less um, prone to reach out and be friendly to more pe- to people? Or no, I think it's made me more prone to take risks because I realized it's not as bad as you think it is. Good. Well, now listen. We have uh, one last question, and I'm going to give you give me a quick two sentence answer. Matt, at this point in your life, how have you learned not to take things so personally? I think the batting average example is the is the best for a guy. Just you know, just put it out there. Like I love that baseball image. Um, uh, <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I mean, it, even the best of even the best of the players get rejected by seven out of ten, probably. I mean, okay. just the way it is. Okay. Barbara? So a batting average of 300 is good enough. All fame. All yeah. fame. What was the question again? Yeah. <laughs> well, how have you learned to not take things so personally? I think just getting older. You know, it's just a lot of baggage to carry all that personal stuff. Takes too much time. Yeah. I think I've realized that most people aren't nearly as important as they think they are, especially when it comes to my life. And so I just, I move on. Great. Well, what a great discussion. And thank you all for sharing these Um, these embarrassing moments, and thanks for coming on the show. I think all of us could look back on our lives and remember a series of rejections that we've had, the cliques in high school, the boyfriend or girlfriend who dumped us, not getting the job we wanted, and the disapproval of loved ones. Some rejections will always be bigger than others, but even the small ones can affect us deeply. What's amazing and most distressing to me is how easy it is to pull up all those hurt feelings that came with the rejection, even after many years have passed. We, I can even remember what I was wearing, where I was, the sinking feeling in my stomach. But you know, as I get older, it gets much easier to see that life is not full of rejection and that there are many more rewarding relationships than not that are based on trust and mutual respect. I don't think we ever get, we ever stop being rejected by other people, but we can stop feeling overwhelmed by it. We can also be aware of how our own behavior can be perceived as rejection when maybe it wasn't intended to be. Well, that's it for tonight. For the record, the opinions expressed on What Would Your Mother Say are not necessarily those of KZSU or Stanford University. They're not intended to be a substitute for professional advice and or counseling. Today's show was put together with help from Bruce Ross, Andrea Hers, Rowan Morris, and Mark Lawrence. Vince Macias engineered the show. I'm the executive producer. I'll be back again next Thursday from 5 to 6 when we'll take a look at sexual harassment, what it is, and what to do when it happens. Thanks for joining us tonight on What Would Your Mother Say? And remember, call your mom. I'm Susan Morris.